Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast once again. And as always, I am Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With us uh, this week in the studio is a very exciting guest, Christina Grace, who I'm looking forward to introducing to you in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk about advice that works well for one subset of the population and terribly for another. Uh, If you have children, you're probably familiar with this concept, right? What works really well for one child does not work for another. doesn't mean the advice is bad or good, just means that you have to bear in mind different people's temperaments and situations before you offer advice. Uh, And one piece of advice that is often given generally, I've noticed, seems to fall into this category where some people really need to hear it and some people really, really don't. And that advice is, uh, you've probably heard it, you've definitely heard it if you've ever been on a plane, put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. It's great advice if you are on a plane that depressurizes, right? Absolutely perfect, spot-on advice there. No matter what type of person you are, that is good advice uh, in that very specific situation. But it is often used in a more emotional and relational sense. And it's great for people who sometimes forget to advocate for their own needs or to set boundaries um, or to take time to make sure that their like basic, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs are met um, before they can turn to giving giving of themselves to others. So fabulous advice for that type of person. You know, remind yourself of that. Listen to it. Just internalize it. Fabulous for the rest of us. And I include myself in this subset of the population because I do a great job of meeting my own needs. I hear that and I think, My goodness, I should be putting on my oxygen mask all the time. And I forget that oxygen is something you need to breathe. It's not just whatever you feel like having. So some of us can hear it and think, I'm putting on my oxygen mask, when in fact what you're doing is just ignoring other people. Uh, Don't mix up those two things. Uh, Do not confuse being self-centered and never helping anyone else out with putting on your own oxygen mask. Uh, Sort of like how sometimes people say, I don't know how to relax. I I, I work too hard. How How do I take time for myself? I'm not really sure. I always take time for myself. So if I were to say, oh, I really need to, like, push for more relaxation time, all I would do is relax. Um, I, I, I need to remember that that is not the type of person that I am. And so any advice given to that type of person who pushes themselves too hard, never rests, never does stuff that they want to do just for fun, um, that's not going to work for me. So ask yourself, uh, am I the person who needs to be encouraged to put on an oxygen mask? Or am I a person who put their oxygen mask on ages ago and it's just like hanging out in my seat while everyone around me is gasping for air? Um, you be the judge. All right. This week in the studio, we've got Christina Grace, who is one half of the Unfriendly Black Hotties, which is a podcast about higher education and pop culture. Christina, welcome. Mallory, thank you so much for having me. I, I thank you for being had. I have been looking forward to this for weeks. I love all of our conversations, uh, and I've been really looking forward to getting you on the show and hearing you conversation with me professionally. I'm so excited to conversation with you. I am too. Have you been kind of thinking through like uh, what's what's the one piece of like advice I want to give everyone? What do I what do, what do I want my legacy to be on the Dear Prudence show? Well, see, I've been concerned because we both have such a reaction to say murder as our go-to advice, and I just think that maybe we both shouldn't encourage a lot of murder today. Maybe you know, not. I think that's a great point. And, and let's hold that as our highest and best principle today. We will not tell any of our letter writers to commit. Let's go with a crime of any kind. Okay. Okay. I can work with that. All right. Well, luckily, we don't have any questions like that on the docket today. So I think we're going to be able to make it through with our goal intact. Um, but we are going to start with a question uh, that kind of has to do with when to speak up and when not to. And um, I'm excited to, to tackle it. Do you want to go ahead and read our first letter? Oh, wow. What an honor. Of course. I would love to. Thank you. Subject, trouble with church. My husband is a preacher's kid, although he's not religious now. His father is a pastor, and we attend church whenever we visit his in-laws. My husband has a lot of complicated feelings about his family's church. 
Before our last visit, my husband was adamant that we would not attend services because we do not believe in their fundamentalist teachings. But when we were with his in-laws, he changed his mind and we went after all. I am torn about whether or not we should say something and stop attending or just get along to get along. We both agree that if we have children, they will not be attending. But until then, what should we do? Mm. This is exciting. This is exciting. Good news is you have a couple of different options. I, I, I don't think that there's one only reasonable option to take here. I think the important thing to for me to bear in mind as I think about which which one to advise them to take is the fact that they've both decided if they're going to have children, they're not going to attend, which means you guys presumably think it's likely that at some point in the future, you're going to have to have the conversation. Um, so I think you should bear that in mind that like it will be easier to have this conversation now as opposed to a couple years from now when there's actual kids involved. Um, so, you know, if you were thinking, ah, we could maybe ride this out for the rest of their lives going to church once or twice a year. But um, if your goal is to eventually have this conversation, I think it might be a good idea to start thinking about how how can we start having it now? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the fact that they have decided this thing about if we have kids, we won't be going to this church. Um, that kind of makes it a little easier to think about ways to start having that conversation with the in-laws. And I mean, I think you should talk to your husband before you talk to your in-laws with regards to when you should have this conversation. Oh, God. Um, yeah. No. And I think the husband should be having this conversation. Like, yeah. He should definitely take to the be, lead on the conversation. Yeah. There should be a team effort, but a husband-led action. Right. Because he's the one with the complicated feelings. The letter writer seems pretty set on not going. Um, and you know, he's the one whose mind ends up changing and going. So chat with him and say, listen, like, is, is this something that we need to have a conversation about right now with your parents? And how do you want to do that? And, I, you know, I'm here to support you in any way. Right. Because, you know, again, it, it really depends on what type of relationship you guys have with your husband's parents and, and what right. type of relationship you want to have. Like maybe you're the type of non-churchgoer who's like, I'm a really strong atheist. It's really important to me that they know this about me at some point. And it would like really it would not be easy for me to just go a couple times a year. Like it would really go against my beliefs. I want to mm -hmm. make it really clear. I don't believe in God. I don't want to go to church. Um, and that's a firm line I want to draw, which, which is fine. Or you might be the kind of people who feel like um, uh, I am comfortable going once or twice a year, but I don't I, I, like I don't have to have the conversation about my beliefs with them. But I do want to make it clear that I'm not a fundamentalist, uh, you know, and, and kind of everything in between. Right. So you, you and your husband should figure out, do we want to just let them know, hey, we're totally willing to go to church with you, but you should be aware that we ourselves are not believers. We're just going because we love you and like we're perfectly happy to like see the value in a church service um or if you feel like on the other hand if their church is like espousing beliefs that you really really strongly disagree with you're going to have to say like hey we're not going to come to church with you and here's why and like some of these conversations will have more follow-up conflict than others absolutely uh, yeah i was interested in that he changed his mind and we went after all because there's no real context there did he change his mind because your in-laws were demanding that you guys go to church or did he change his mind because he got there and realized you know it doesn't matter that much to me it would be easier to go at this moment than have a big conversation and fight about it right um, so i feel like it's it doesn't seem like it'll be that challenging of a conversation. Granted, I don't know how the in-laws would feel about it, but at least with your, you and your husband are on the same page. And I think that's really important. Right. And I, I mean, I get that. Like for a lot of people who grew up quite religious, especially for people who grew up with parents who are like members of the clergy, there's this real push and pull, right? There's times when it's like, I'm so tired of this religion. I'm so against it. I never want to go again. I'm really frustrated. And then there's this moment of like, you know, there were good parts of it, too. I have nostalgia for it. I, like, remember this mm -hmm. aspect fondly. Or just this sense of, I really love my parents, and this thing is between us. And if we really had an honest conversation about it, I feel like they would be so afraid for me or so upset for me or so angry for me that it would limit our ability to be close, and I don't want that. Um, so, again, I really think, like, this is a conversation where you, you have to find out from your husband, like, what's the worst case scenario to you? Like, what are you willing to compromise on? What are you willing to not be tremendously, like, scrupulously honest about? Which is not to say, like, pretend 
to be like half a fundamentalist because that's pretty hard to do. But like, right, sure. What would be the worst case scenario for you? And like, what's hard for you when you're around your parents? Yeah, maybe there's pressure or maybe there's just a sense of like, I'm home with my family. They'd be so upset if we didn't go to church. It's just an hour and a half. Something that seemed easy to do when I was in my apartment in my secular life now feels harder to do when I'm at my childhood home and relating to my parents as their kid. Um, you know, that may have been some of what weakened him in the moment. But yeah, you guys should figure it out. And if you're really adamant, like, we are not going to do this with our kids, like, you should prepare them. Because if they think right now that you're kind of on board with fundamentalism, and then you have children, and you're like, psych, we're not religious at all, and our kids will be going to no amount of church, that will be a huge, <laughs> that will be a huge thing. Yeah, definitely have that conversation before kids yeah. are involved. Yeah, let them freak out now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then, uh, by the time kids come around, you know, it might still be a sore point. You might have to set some other limits, but at least there won't be this sense of, I, I think will be hard about springing it on them once you have kids is now there's like a specific soul at stake for them. Right. It's right. like, yeah, it's not just sure. hypothetical children. It's this child who, who you are preventing from, from being saved. And hopefully that's not the way that they see it, but you know, if they go to a fundamentalist church, it may be so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk with your husband and talk with your in-laws and do it. You know, if you're going to have the conversation, do it before your next visit is scheduled. Right. Don't bring it up like, hey, we're getting into town tomorrow. Heads up. We're not coming to church. Yes. Do not do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be a process. Good luck. And Good and luck. I hope I hope that they can, you know, understand. And even if their initial response is, is like too big or too emotional or, or pressury, that they're able to eventually say like, OK, we love you. This is tricky for us, but we're not going to force you to come to church. You're an adult. We get it. We can try to understand and love each other. Yeah, I have faith in them. Yeah, faith. I see. They're going to nail it. I think. Yeah, I think you guys are going to do great. Um, Speaking of which, oh, I have so many thoughts about this next one, but I'm not sure where I land. But I'm really excited to kind of like talk through all the different possibilities because this is a really there's so many possibilities in this one, right? This is a unique letter. I feel like so. uh, I'll go ahead and 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 read this one and and we can tackle it next. Uh, So the subject of this one is family co-op. I'm a single mother by choice, serving the last year of my contract with the Air Force. I know that my choice to have a child as a single military mother would be difficult, and I discussed the decision at length with my parents. They assured me that they supported my decision and would help me out in whatever way they could. A year after my daughter was born, I got orders to go to Korea for a year. I couldn't bring her with me, so she stayed with my parents. After discussing it at length, my parents sold their house and moved into a farm that I own. My daughter has been having the time of her life out in the country. She seems so happy there that I'm not sure whether to bring her back with me now that I'm back in the United States for the final year of my contract. I live about a seven-hour drive away, and I change shift every 10 days, which is hell when it comes to scheduling childcare. After I separate from the military next February, I plan on moving into the farm as well. My concerns are that my daughter will spend some of the formative years of her development with minimal interaction with me, and that she's too isolated out on the farm. She doesn't go to daycare or interact with other children, just her grandparents. I went to the farm for two weeks over Christmas, and I'm worried that my daughter isn't being challenged. She seemed behind in several things— speech, the ability to follow instructions, and several other things. My parents don't want to take her to a daycare because it's a long drive into town and they have morning chores on the farm, but I'm concerned that my daughter is not at the level she should be. I don't know if I should insist. For one thing, every child is different, and maybe she's doing perfectly fine. She'll have to go to preschool eventually. Maybe she'll get caught up then. But I also feel like I've given up my authority on my own child by having her live with my parents in the first place. I want to bring her back to live with me desperately, but it seems selfish to drag her out of an idyllic home away from the people she knows better than me. Do you think this arrangement is healthy, if unorthodox, or should I try to take my daughter back to live with me, even if the transition and my duty assignment makes life difficult for both of us? Woo! There are so many choices, so many options. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, sort of the most pressing question to me is is that this letter writer worries that she's given up her authority on her own child by having her live with her parents for the first place. And I just want to say, nope, you're still her mother. Um, yep, I you, agree. You've Strong made some agree from me. difficult decisions that are like short term. This is not permanent. You, you're you not going to, mm-hmm. you know, you weren't in Korea for 10 years. Like um, you made some tough calls, but none of this in any way like abdicated your rights as a mother. So 
Yep, you're still her mom. Yep, absolutely. Sure. You get to make the choice that you think is best for her. Um, and you might do that with, like, discussion with your parents. You might do that with discussion with her pediatrician. Um, you know, but, yeah, you do get to make the final choice. They have not, like, taken over the the right of, like, final decision just because you had to go to Korea for a year. Yes, this is very true. Also, this concern that she's going to spend formative years without her mother, I I feel like she's so young that it might not be as devastating as the letter writer thinks it is for her daughter to not have inter- like constant interaction with her mother at this stage in her life. I wonder if it's more just that she's feeling sad that mm-hmm. like that she's missing those when kind you're of forming big moments. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that they won't be able to make up for it later, but of just course. this kind of sense of I am missing out on a stage that I would love to be present for. Um, and it sounds like that was part of the like difficult calculus that went into making the decision. Right. Do I want to have a child even as a single parent, even in the military? Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. Um, and I and I do understand wanting to have that. Um, I, you know, I, I would want that if I were in her situation. So Absolutely. I hear it. <sighs> but this bigger question. Yeah. I mean. Based on the timeline of this letter, it kind of sounds like her daughter is maybe about between one and a half and two years old. That's what I was thinking. Um, So, again, I am not a child development expert, so I I don't want to say, like, ah, there's this very clear-cut milestone your daughter is missing, or it's too soon to say. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, within the range of one and a half to two years old, there's a lot of leeway for speech development and and following instructions like i i don't know what two-year-olds are great at following instructions yeah Um, if that's a skill we were supposed to develop it too i am also missing some milestones so yeah i i wonder like nothing in that leapt out to me is like oh that's definitely a flag for like assessment and intervention like um, it sounds maybe a little bit more like first child anxiety yeah right of just like mm-hmm. is my kid normal is my and I, I don't even know that normal is the right word to use there but that's kind of the anxiety that often parents can experience so like if you're genuinely concerned about her development like take her into the pediatrician and say like here are my concerns uh can you either like let me know if i'm being a little overly anxious or if this is something that we should keep an eye out for um and that might help you make your next decision right um and I think you should go, like, if possible, like, you should make the visit with your daughter. Um, and I don't know if, how, how you would be able to arrange that, if you would go down to the farm and get her, or if you would have your parents bring her up and take her where you live. But, like, take her to a pediatrician and, like, get get a qualified medical assessment. Because um, th- th- that will hopefully be able to put your mind at ease and you'll be able to see, okay, she's, like, actually, like, within the, the, the range of kind of average one-and-a-half-year-old behavior. Yeah. And I think once your mind is at ease, that will allow you to make this kind of bigger decision a little easier. And I mean, my gut is kind of like, don't move your child from where she's very happy living on a farm. That sounds so idyllic and charming. Um, I understand the desire to you know, want your daughter with you at all times, but it just doesn't sound like based on this letter that your daughter is happy currently and that moving back with you where you have to change shifts and you live seven hours from your parents, it just doesn't seem like the best situation for her, especially since you plan on moving to the farm in a year or so. Yeah. I think I'm inclined to come down a little bit on the other side, but uh, to your last point, I think the really crucial thing to remember here is whatever decision you make will last a year. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, neither option seems like uh, it will harm your daughter in some lasting way, right? So you can at least put that anxiety aside and you think, whatever I decide, in a year's time, I will be living with my daughter full time. Um, I will be able to like better see her daily progress, make sure that she interacts with other children, um, spend time with her, interact with her, get to develop my own independent relationship with her. Um, and that's all coming. So none of this is the sort of question of like, man, if I choose one or the other, am I like running the risk of negatively affecting her entire childhood? This is it's all going to be OK. Um, and I think if you bear that in mind, that will help you make a decision because it won't feel so much like, ah, my two choices here are happy daughter or daughter who knows her mother. Those are not two choices that you have to decide between. What is your uh, feeling on the other side? Um, I mean, I think like you, you, you want your child to be with you. You're back in the United States. Um, 
I, I think, you know, you should spend spend more time with your daughter if that's what you want. And it sounds like that's what you want. Like, I don't think she will. Obviously, it will be like a challenging transition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you should at least consider it. Like, I don't think it's a terrible I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Um, and and like if you can figure out how you would navigate child care, um, like whatever resources are available to you as a member of the military, like definitely investigate that. Figure out if there would be ways that you could even um, like have your parents come up once a month. Like, again, I, I realize that they have a lot of chores on the farm. They can't just drop that. But if there's any way you could manage that, like to spare one of them once a month would be fabulous. Um, but, yeah, you absolutely can do that. It will not damage your daughter. Kids, you know, uh, she will not be, like, harmed by spending time with you. You will not be, like, um, traumatizing her, I don't think. Uh, again, you may ultimately decide the farm is better. But, like, it would also be great for her to, like, not just get to know you, but to also be around other young kids and interact with people who aren't just her grandparents. Again, it's it's hard because it's, like... Neither one of these things is bad, right? right? Like, it's not bad to spend your first couple years of life mostly interacting with your grandparents. Like, it's not going to hurt you. It's not like you're growing up in Rapunzel's Tower for the first 18 years of your life. Um, True. And it's also not bad to to move to be with your mom. Like, neither one of these sounds like, oh, man, that would traumatize your kid. That would, like, deeply hold her back. And especially because you're concerned that she's not spending enough time with other kids. Um, and, and you would like to, like, spend more time with her because she's your kid. She's you your, kid, your kid, yeah. At least take it into consideration. But, yeah, I would say first and foremost, take her to a pediatrician. See how she's doing. If they're at all concerned, then that might tip you over into the category of having her with you. If they're like, nope, she's doing great. She's just 18 months old and they don't listen to anybody. um, Then you might consider putting it off for a year and then, you know, um, getting to kind of start the next phase of your life together. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think the thing that it sounds like everyone involved is a really good person who has your kid's best interests at heart. And is doing the best they can. And that regardless of what happens, it's only going to be a year. um, Mm -hmm. And that ultimately you guys will all be living together. Frankly, this sounds really cozy. Like you sound like you have a great relationship with your parents. They sound like they really love your daughter. You guys are going to have this wonderful like ramshackle, multi-generational, like cozy ass farm situation. I'm very into Um, that. I'm kind of jealous, actually. Yeah, same. But good luck. Yeah, I I think whatever you do, you're going to be okay and your kid's going to be okay. Uh, Christina, Mallory, I want to sneak. I want to sneak a surprise letter on you. Oh my god! This one popped up. This one popped up just today, and it was so in your wheelhouse. I couldn't not. Okay, all right, bring it on. You, bring it on. Do you for, do you forgive me? You are forgiven. You are not in trouble. Good. Thank goodness. All right. So the subject of this one is very strange situation. Oh God. I'm a gay man in my 30s. Kathy is my best friend. Last week, we were hanging out together one night at her place. One thing led to another, and we had sex. To my great surprise, I loved it. We even had sex again the next morning. I've always been attracted to some women, but I'd never slept with one before. Now I'm feeling confused. If she was a man, or if I was straight, I'd be making weekend plans with her, hoping that this might lead to a relationship. I suspect Kathy might be up for this. We love one another's company, and now we know that we like having sex together. We have talked since then, but we haven't discussed our night together. But I also think that our friends would freak out. And I'm gay. There's no such category as a gay man who's sleeping with a woman. What should I do? Mm. Christina, is there a category for gay man who's sleeping with a woman? Yes. That category is called bisexuality, which is, I think, what you are, my friend. Yay. Nailed it. I think think you figured it out. Hooray. Cool. Good talk. Yeah. Should we just move on? I think we're all set there. (laughs) Okay. I do want to give him a tiny bit more advice than that. Same. But... This kind of illustrated something that I think is really fascinating, which uh, is I think a lot of people assume that bisexuality means you are 50-50 attracted to men and women uh, and you have like dated an equal amount of both. Like you've got some sort of ledger in your mind um, and every time you sleep with a guy, you add a woman to your list uh, and vice versa and you're always attracted to both the exact same amount your entire life. Do you think that's an accurate definition of bisexuality? I really don't think it is. Um, I do think that my ledger is probably missing some equal tallies. Um, But no, like people are bisexual. People discover that they are bisexual later in life sometimes. It can in fact be confusing, but it does not make it any less of a thing. Um, And, you know, good for you, guy. You had like good sex and maybe with someone who wants to be in a relationship with you for a bit. Like that seems like a positive. Yeah. I I mean, I think 
it's it's absolutely positive to be bisexual and like lean mostly gay like that yeah. sounds like it may be your deal you may eventually find another word or identity that you prefer and that's fantastic too but um you can absolutely be bisexual and be mostly attracted to other men mostly date other men um and then every once in a while a woman pops up and you're like this is interesting to me um and 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 that's great. That's still bisexual. Um, so you don't have to worry about what this is because there's, there's a name for this and a lot of people do it. Yeah, you know? we've got like a name it for it. Happens. Yeah, no, there's there's totally a word for what this is. You are not alone, my friend. Um, yeah. And if you would like to, I think you should talk to Kathy and I think you should say, hey, love spending time with you. Kind of surprised by the fact that I enjoyed having sex with you because I've never slept with a woman before. Um, but seems like I'm a bit bisexual and I'd sure love to go out with you. Are you up for it? And she will either say yes and you guys will get to go out and figure out what happens next. Or she will say, nope, thank you very much. I love being your friend and we had sex one time, but I'm not interested in taking it any further. Um, and then that solves your your situation with Kathy. And, you know, whether or not she wants to go out with you, like... Uh, you know, it may be that no other woman pops up on your radar. Um, and that's kind of the end of that side of the story. It may be that occasionally like a woman does. And that's like either way, it's fine. And I think you can you can bring it up to your friends in whatever degree you feel comfortable. Like, I don't think you should let your friend's reaction drive what you do. But I also don't want to, like, pretend that that won't happen. Like, I think, you know, your friends pretty well. Um, and if you feel like they might freak out, there's a good chance that they will. Do you have any... Thoughts about that, Christina? I mean, it's possible. And again, I think, you know, that's the, the correct assumption. If you think your friends are going to freak out, then it's probably because you know them pretty well and they truly might freak out. But I think you are well within your rights to say this is something that is real. This is something that I feel. And kind of regardless of your feelings about my situation, these are my feelings and it is my situation. And they don't get to dictate your sexuality any more than anybody does in that they don't get to do it at all because your sexuality is for you and your sexuality is bisexuality it turns out yeah um and if they freak out like that's also fine like it's super dramatic right like it's always exciting when like two friends in your circle get together especially oh, nothing when, better like, one of them you didn't know was attracted to that person's gender that's always like a fun kind of freak out and so hopefully they will lean towards the oh my goodness you and kathy never saw this coming this is wild tell me everything i hope that's the kind of freak out that they produce and if they're a little like shittier about it then you know um you can just let them know like you can even preface it right like you can say hey i'm kind of nervous about telling you mm -hmm. um this is not something that's really come up a lot for me before, although I have occasionally been attracted to women in the past, haven't really shared it, didn't really think that that was ever going to be a part of, of my romantic life, but it is. Um, and I really would love, like, your support. And a good friend will hear that and will tamp down any freak out they may be having. And there's he'll like, oh, you are telling me that you're nervous about telling me and that you would like my support. You're, you're telling me exactly what you need from me as a friend. I can do that. Um, and And then hopefully they will be able to do that. And if they need to freak out, they can do it quietly on their own time. Yeah. Setting expectations for conversations like that with your friends or with your family is incredibly helpful. And if you get to say, hey, I'm a little nervous about this, then if your friends are good people, as I feel like they probably are, then they will say, mm -hmm. all right, this doesn't have to be about me and my reaction right now. It can be about supporting my friend. And then everyone yeah. can move and on. You can, make it, you can make it really clear. Like, yeah. Uh, like, I'm bisexual, mostly date men, mostly like men. Like, that's mm -hmm. still true about me. I don't have this, like, big reveal. Um, but, like, I'm just adding to that. Turns out uh, I'm a little more bisexual. Not a little more bisexual. I don't want to, like, quantify it. Like, there's some sort of percentage amount you can have. But, yeah, like, turns out I am a, a bisexual and, and I'm going to try to date this lady. Um, and if you would rather hold off on that, like, you do not have to announce to everyone that you know that you guys have gone on a date. Like, if you mm -hmm. would like to take a little time and figure out what this means for you and Kathy, like, one-on-one, -on -one, you can do that. And then um, if you want to talk about it with your friends, you absolutely can. If you'd rather wait, you can do that. You can disclose your bisexuality without getting to the specifics of who you're dating. Um, that's always okay. You can always say that you are bisexual even if you don't have, like, a... Uh, some person to act as evidence with sometimes which sometimes people will demand people do demand that a lot yeah like bring forth the bisexual evidence yes point to both a man and a woman that you are attracted to and then thus you will be bisexual that's not how it works oh and not even attracted to like we need 
proof. Like, bring forth the like bloodstained sheets of I your bisexual you experience. Sheets. It was either that or receipts, and I felt like this didn't really call for receipts, so I went with the bloodstained sheets. Um, Yeah, and that's a little bit goofy. Like, um, yeah, that's a little bit goofy. Everything's a little goofy, but mostly, like, you're bisexual, you have some fun options in front of you, and welcome to the club, because we're the best. Also, I feel like this was a movie from the 90s. I feel like this was two movies from the 90s. One of them was called The Sweetest Thing. And one of them starred Madonna and Rupert Everett, I want to say. And the other one stars Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd. But I don't know which one is which. And I don't know which one is called The Sweetest Thing. Okay. So Um, The Sweetest Thing is the Rupert Everett one. And the object of my affection is the Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd one. I love you so much. There were so many movies in the 90s that were basically just subtitled we don't know what the word bisexuality is because that was also when Chasing Amy came out and all of those oh, movies yeah. were just really confused by the idea that you could sometimes date people of various genders, not even just two. Like, there's kind of more than there's two There's kind sometimes. of more than two genders, it turns out. Yeah, um, that was a uh, whole subset uh, uh, of the 90s. Yeah, but there was you know, just a whole thing of like, oh, this gay person and the straight person slept together. What are we going to do about it? Because obviously there's no word for that. And it's like there's there's a word for it. And now we have it. We actually had it then, too. Thank you. OK, but yeah, congratulations, letter writer. You're bisexual or you can be if you want to be. No one's going to sure. make you join, but you no one's gonna are make welcome you. to if you would like to. Um, hooray. I think we did Woo-hoo. it. I think we nailed it. Good. Okay. Well, um, then let's jump right into the next one, uh, which I would love for you to read that letter if you feel up to it. I do feel up to it. And here I go. Subject is baby daddy blues. My ex-husband and I split last year after it came to light that he was cheating. He was also emotionally unavailable and a generally very angry person. He's highly manipulative, however, and convinced everyone in our circle of close friends that I was the one who was cheating. So I was totally isolated from them. This year, my stepdad died suddenly. I moved away to take care of my disabled mother while we made more permanent arrangements. At the end of my family leave, in lieu of better housing, I moved in with him. It was fine at first until he got blackout drunk and lectured me and all the things he hates about me until 3.30 in the morning, throwing dishes around and ripping the clock off the wall whenever he felt I was interrupting or being snarky. I tried to talk to him about it in a sober moment, and he stated he meant everything that he said. We have a beautiful son, with whom he is great while sober, and my family and friends are all saying they want us to work it out for my son. I just want to live without his mistreatment. My son is two now, but someday he's going to grow old enough to attract his father's monumental temper. I am lost here. I want what's best for my son, but I don't think this is a normal relationship. I feel abused, even though he isn't hitting me. Oof. I mean, number one, to just really... Uh, emphasize and support that last line. Absolutely, right. this is abusive. You um, feel abused because you are being abused. Right. Like, ripping the clock off the wall, throwing things. Like, that is violence, right? Yeah. Like, you are demonstrating to the person with you, I'm willing to break and destroy things mm-hmm. um, to keep you from leaving the room. And that's sending, like, a really clear message. I will escalate if you try to end this conversation. Um like yelling at someone is like for hours, right? Like raising your voice is not an abusive action, right. but sustained screaming until three thirty in the morning, um, throwing and dishes, throwing things so that someone can't leave the room. Like, yes, that is a threat. He is physically and emotionally threatening you. You are accurately reading the situation. This person is abusing you. Yep, that's exactly what's happening here. And. You do get to live without his mistreatment. I mean, that line kind of jumped out at me because it seems so sad. Just like, oh, I just want this one thing. And it's something that you definitely deserve and something that your son deserves, too. Right, right. So I just want to make it really clear. Like, I I know you said in lieu of better housing options, you moved in with him. I don't know if you're still in a situation where this is like the only option available to you. But if there is anywhere else that you can go. Um, I would encourage you to go there. I would also encourage you to contact like your local women's shelter for advice on how to do so safely. Because often, like when you are trying to separate from an abusive person, that's the most dangerous time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you feel like he would try to prevent you from leaving the house, um, if you feel like he would try to retaliate, like absolutely, like find contact a local women's shelter. Um, you can get help moving. Um, you can get help getting out of the house. Like 
stay somewhere that hopefully like he does not know, right? Like don't go to somebody who has been encouraging you to work things out with your husband. Absolutely. I'm sorry, your ex-husband. Go somewhere if you have the option um, that is safe. And if you don't, go to a women's shelter. Um, That is literally what they are there for. But you absolutely should get out of the situation. And with your son, you're so right that this is abusive and that eventually he will turn um, his abuse to your son. He will escalate. Um, like he's already escalated, right? Like he's gone from being an angry person to someone who blacks out, throws dishes, rips things off the wall. Like, yeah, this guy is moving in a direction where he's going to start hitting. Like that is going to happen. And I think, you know, to have the foresight to say that, you know, my son is going to grow old enough to attract his father's monumental temper. I think that's, that's the answer kind of regardless of what your family and friends think is right for you, you know, the answer and however you can get out and get your son out is really paramount in this moment. Yep. And I want to call attention to to that bit of, you know, he's great with my son when he's sober. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I just want to, like, it, it remind us all that that's what abusive people do, right? Like, if abusive people, if he was ripping clocks off the walls 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nobody would be on his side, right? Like, no one Not would one marry person. him. No one would, like, right? Like, the reason he is great when he is sober is so that he can get people to stick around when he's drunk and abuses them. Like that's not um, that's not an accident. That's nope. not his real nature. That's strategic. He is great when he is sober, so that people don't leave him when he's drunk and violent. Um, yep. And I just really want to like point that out. That's not a reason to try to make a co-parenting relationship work. That's not a reason to give him the benefit of the doubt or a third or a fourth or a fifth chance. Like you moved in with him under duress, like when you had to, when you had nowhere else to go and like you'd lost family members. Um, uh, and and I'm so sorry that that was your only option. Um, that's really hard. Um, and And I'm really hopeful that you have somewhere else you can stay. And if there are people in your life who are telling you to stay with him, um, like, I mean, it's really appropriate for you to say, actually, he cheated on me and has been physically violent. I don't feel safe with him. Our son's not safe with him. I'm not going to make it work. Like, that is okay for you to say. Like, you don't have to let his lies stand. Like, if you've been afraid to challenge that with other people or haven't wanted to, like, air your dirty laundry, um, you absolutely can say that. Or at the very least, just say our relationship is deteriorated beyond all hope of repair. I'm not interested in getting back together with him. Please stop bringing it up. Like at the very least, you can say that to your friends. And if they keep doing it, they are not your friends and you don't have to talk to them. Absolutely. Yeah. If you make the decision to to leave, and I think we're kind of counseling that that is the best plan, um, and your friends and family either refuse to accept your choice or refuse to listen to your decisions about why you made that choice, then that's not what family and friends are for. And you're well within your right to say, until you accept this decision I have made, I do not want to speak to you. Yep. Yep. And if your friends are willing to believe that you cheated on him, like, I think they've already kind of demonstrated that they don't have much faith in you. You did not cheat on him. Yeah. Um, he cheated on you and is abusive. Like, mm-hmm. both of those things are really okay to say. Um, and if your friends are still like, well, two sides to every story, you know, that is information that you need to move on with your life and, like, cut them out of it. And that's really sad. And I know you've already lost some people and it's really hard to think, uh, you know, I'm moving out and I'm losing friendships and my stepfather just died and my mother's not doing well. Like, that's that's really hard and I want to acknowledge that. So if there's anybody in your life that you can lean on for support, you know, I encourage you to do that. And I would also say, like, file for sole custody. Um, yes. Like, consult a lawyer, often family lawyers, um, especially for a situation like yours. Again, a woman's shelter can recommend this. We'll work on, like, uh, you know, they won't make you pay a ton of money up front if you can't afford that right now. Um, but you should absolutely be su- suing for primary custody, if not sole custody. Um, go for that. Yep, definitely go for that. Definitely, if if there's someone you can talk to who's not a family, a friend, if there's a therapist that you either currently work with, or if you could find someone to talk to, I think that would be really helpful for you, especially if your family and friends just aren't listening to you. Um, Having someone who's in your corner and not judgmental and, you know, just Mm -hmm. like a value neutral person to say, to listen to you and hear you and help you kind of work through this. I think that's going to be really important too. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's really important to, to like reread your own letter. Like he isolated you from your friends on purpose. He turned them against you on purpose. He is using them as proxies so that he can convince you to stay. Like this is not a person who's going to change. This is a person who's going to continue to escalate his violence. This is a person who, when he's sober, like reiterates the abusive actions he takes when he is drunk. Um, this is not somebody you should be getting back together with. This is not somebody who should be like helping to raise your child. Like you don't deserve this treatment. Um, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And yeah. like you, you and your son deserve so much better. And I hope so much that um, if you can update us, let us know how you're doing, um, what resources you're able to find in your area. Again, if you just like were to Google like the name of your town and women's shelters, like a lot of resources will come up, call them, tell them your situation, ask what they can do to help. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. you are right. He you, he is abusing you. And I, 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 I think he probably will start hitting you. Um, when you say that thing at the end, even though he isn't hitting me, what I feel at the end of that sentence is an unspoken yet. yet and I think yeah. you know that there's a yet there. And I don't want that for you or your son. I'm just so sorry. Yeah, I'm incredibly sorry. This is like a really hard, it's a very hard letter. This is a very tough situation. Um, right. But you can get out of it. And I really want that for you and your son. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Ooh. So, uh, yeah. Uh Kind of a really interesting twist on a similar question is is our last one of the day. Um, I have never gotten a letter like this before, and I, I'm kind of kind of not sure how to advise this person. So I'm really excited that you and I are going to get to ta- tackle this one together. Um, I forget if you read the last letter or if I did. I, think I read the last one. It's your turn. All right. I'm going to take this one. The subject of this one is angry Harridan. And I just want to thank the letter writer for using the word Harridan. I don't think I've gotten to say that on the air yet. Same. And that's the last lighthearted thing I will say about this subject. My husband recently helped his sister get out of an abusive marriage. It's been a long haul, and her ex left her with a broken arm. The whole family is so relieved, except me. I'm glad that my sister-in-law is free and safe. However, my husband never told me that that was what he'd been doing for the last six months. He's been lying to me about where he's been and what he's been doing because his sister didn't want anyone to know how bad it was. I thought he was having an affair. I'd been considering leaving him. Instead, it turned out that he's a hero who was protecting his sister. So why can't I stop being so angry? I can't get over how easy it was for him to lie repeatedly to me, even if it was for a good cause. I hate myself for being so petty, but that just makes me angrier at him. Woo! Okay, so here's the thing. When I first read this letter, my gut reaction was that I really need to create some sort of pamphlet for people on how to behave when today is not your day. Hmm. Today is not about you, ma'am. I understand that your husband feeling like your husband was cheating on you for six months and realizing that he was protecting his sister is a bit of a a heavy thing to switch and have to suddenly feel very happy. But I just, girl, he was doing like a really good thing. And I, I just can't imagine still being angry at him about this. I just can't fathom it. I think I'm inclined to be a little bit more sympathetic to the letter writer not to say that that's this person's feelings should be driving the day um but yeah yeah i mean i think she's kind of aware right like that her anger should not be the primary emotion driving this conversation i think that's part of what's hard that's good it's she's like what do i do with this anger i know i can't yell at him because he was doing something really really good but this last six months were also really hard for me and even though i now know that it was for like a necessary cause I, I still have these feelings. Um, so I think, like, you were right to write to a third person and not, like, take this to your husband or your family. Like, that was the right outlet for you. Um, and I think, I, I, yeah, I think on the one hand, um, although I'm generally in the camp of, like, you should generally tell your partner stuff, um, I also understand the need for for secrecy when it's, like, I mean, if he left her with a broken arm, like, it sounds like this was probably a matter of, like, life and death. Um and I'm trying to think, like, would it have been appropriate for him to say, like, I'm helping someone with something. I can't talk about it too much. Like, I don't know how he could have revealed a little bit without revealing everything. Um, yeah, I don't think he could have. And again, like, ideally, you guys would have the kind of partnership where he could have said, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm telling you because you're my wife and because we can keep each other's secrets. But, like... That's also hard because that adds one more person to this list of like, 
I need as few people as possible to know about this so I can leave my abusive husband. Like, that's tricky. I don't know that it would have been okay for him to tell you over six months um, what he was doing. Like, that's hard. That's I, I, It's hard for me to make a ruling on that. So I think just go to therapy, <laughs> you know? I think so, too. Like, go to therapy. Yep, totally agree. Uh, uh, definitely by yourself for a while. Maybe later it will be, like, because I think you can say these things to him, right? Like, I don't think you should come to him when it's still raw and angry and there's a part of you that mm-hmm. resents him for having done something so good that it feels like you can't have hurt feelings about it. Because you can. You get to have lousy feelings about good stuff all the time. You're a human being. You get to. Um, but I think the, like, ugliest and messiest of this stuff should be at a therapist. And I think you have the right to talk about it. Like, I don't think you should have to just put on a brave face, forget about it, pretend it didn't happen. Like, absolutely go to a therapist and just for, like, a, you know, once a week for, like, a month, just be really selfish and just be like, and this happened and I felt this and that and that and that. And then maybe you can, like, talk about it with your husband in a way that's not, like, immediately dumping on him. Yeah, I think talking to someone else will be incredibly helpful. I think you'll be able to kind of pull apart why you were so angry and how you, him lying to you made you feel for six months. And then you'll be able to come to him and say, hey, listen, this time, X amount of months or years ago was hard for me for these reasons. I get it. I'm over it now. But I do want you to know because you are my husband and I have these feelings that this happened and I felt this way because you do get to feel your feelings. But right. Just her, you know, her her husband's sister being left with a a broken arm just makes me think that this was such a dire situation um, that he really could not afford to tell anyone. Right, right. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's his sister and it's her safety. And and again, like, hopefully this is not a subject that will come up again. Right. Like mm-hmm. uh, this will, you know, he will not he does not have other sisters also in abusive situations that nobody knows about. Um, like even if in the future her husband were to come back, you would now have the information that she was trying to leave him so that it wouldn't be a surprise. Like, I don't I don't think this is a situation that will repeat itself in your marriage. Um, yeah, and this, this is kind like of one of the few. Yeah, this is one of the few exceptions where I kind of understand the need for for not disclosing. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Like, it's really fair to just say, like, even though you're not wrong, I'm still hurt. Like, um, and I think your husband should be able to acknowledge that, like, you did not know for those six months what he was doing when he was gone. Um, And so that's still real. And, like, I don't even know that you have to wait until you're totally past it. You might not get totally past it. Like, this might be something that is tender for you for a long time. That's not to say it won't ever get better, that you won't ever feel a little more serene about it. But I don't think that you have to think, like, okay, my next move is just swallow this, forget it ever happened, pretend it didn't bother me, get done. Like, you know, you can say, hey, I love you so much. I'm so happy for your sister. I think what you did was incredible. It was also really hard for me over the last six months to not know where you were and what you were doing. And even though I know now, I've still got a lot of feelings and I want to deal with them appropriately. I don't want to resent you. I don't want to take it out on you. Um, I understand why you did what you did. But I like I'm going to therapy to kind of handle these feelings. And I want you to know because I love you and I want you to know me. Um, And I want to be able to support each other. And like my feelings matter here, too. They're not the like front and center of the situation, which is why I'm going to a therapist right now um, to to handle it kind of appropriately. But I just I want you to know. And maybe eventually you guys can have a couple of sessions together and just kind of say, like, he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but I'm still hurt. And we want to, like, talk about this and, like, maybe hearing from him, like, it was really hard to not tell you. I really wanted to share it with you. Maybe that would be helpful to you when it comes to, like, putting this in, like, its right size, right place. That was really beautiful. I feel kind of bad for my first reaction, but I don't because that was my gut. And I do think you get to say your feelings to your husband. That's part of being married. Um and I think once you kind of work through it a little bit with someone else, with a third party who doesn't immediately have a reaction in this like immediate family dynamic, then I think you'll, it'll be a little easier for you to talk to him and say. That is so true. Because you're not. it's not going to be helpful to talk to someone who's like, my kid, my sister just escaped an abusive marriage, right? Like, right. that is Everyone's a situation where. It. Yeah, exactly. And a therapist will just be able to hear that and be like, okay, awesome. Let's talk about, not awesome, sorry, but like, let's, <laughs> let's discuss this. <laughs> Um, and that will be really helpful to you. I also think, um, do something really nice for your sister-in-law. 
you know? Yeah. Make her, make her a casserole, write her a note, do something that takes you out of yourself. Even if you still, still feel resentful when you're doing it, just, you know, even if I'm sure you've already like been really great about it, but just like perform an act of service for her. Mm-hmm. Because even if you don't feel really generously towards her right now, you should act really generously towards her right now because that will help you feel loving if you act loving to her. Um, And that will also make a big difference in terms of how you can talk about this with your husband um, if you've also not taken that resentment out by being distant from her. Yeah, it'd be a good way to put that in perspective for you. Yeah, yeah. Get her, get her a gift certificate for a massage, buy her favorite, whatever, get her a book, um, take her out to lunch, just, just kind of spend the next couple of months occasionally doing something nice for her that you might not otherwise um because it will just go a long way towards healing that sense of like that angry little animal in the middle of your heart that's just kind of like no one's paying attention to me um so i'd say therapy to take care of you and also acts of service to remind you that that there's more than just you i agree i think it's perfect man um what a day what a day. What a moment in time. We didn't tell anyone to commit a crime. I'm very proud of us. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fabulous. Mallory, thank you so much for having me. I want to offer this last piece of information to readers of the column and listeners of the podcast. We are now closed to feedback about the cot. The cot, uh, in case you have not been listening regularly or, or, or missed that column, was about a woman who had lent a cot to a friend of hers uh, whose child had died and who as part of her religious tradition was burning um, the belongings of the child and was worried that she wasn't going to get the cot back. And this was this one took me by surprise. I, I, I think this might have been the most controversial answer I've yet given. Um, and just heard from a, a handful of very determined folks who feel real strongly that she should ask for that cot back. Um, I'm just letting you know, we are now closed to, to the cot story. It's done. Um, we're, you know, if you, if you still disagree, I just encourage you to, to do that at home quietly. Um, we're just we're just not going to take any more. I still feel pretty strongly about it. No one has yet come up with a really convincing, compassionate, loving way to ask this grieving mother to give back the cot in a way that feels like, yep, that's appropriate. That's not going to add to a bereaved mother's trauma. Um, just just not a way to do it. Um, if you want to start your own podcast about the cot. I guess you're welcome to. I think that's not a great reason to start a podcast. You should at least have one or two other things you have really strong feelings about to sort of, you know, tie it into a sort of larger premise. But again, it's your podcast. You can do what you want. Um, You're all fabulous, but I'm done. I'm done with the cot. It's over. I'm sorry. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. It helps the circle of advice continue. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. That number again is 401-371-DEAR. 